Brain Injury Today is sponsored by the Washington State Traumatic Brain Injury Council and produced by Goal 17 Media, storytellers for the common good. And as you mentioned, you know, something like, well, maybe it's not as crude as mild, moderate, or severe. Maybe there needs to be some more precision added to the TBI diagnosis is something that we were surprised that we came up with too. I think clinicians and and other practitioners and patients know that just because you get a label of or give a label of mild TBI doesn't mean that the symptoms and the struggles that patients have are mild. Welcome to Brain Injury Today, your connection to the brain injury community. I'm Deborah Crawley, Executive Consultant for the Brain Injury Alliance of Washington. My guest, Dr. Vavi Lala, is a board-certified anesthesiologist and director of Harborview's Injury Prevention and Research Center. She is also a UW professor of anesthesiology and pain medicine and pediatrics and an adjunct professor of neurological surgery and radiology. Earlier this year, Dr. Vavi Lala served on a task force to help update and personalize traumatic brain injuries to better guide patient care. Dr. Vavi Lala, welcome to the Brain Injury Today podcast. Thank you so much. It's really great to have you here for this. I've worked with Dr. Vavi Lala for, at this point, over a decade in a number of different areas. And her work in TBI has uh, really supported both the Brain Injury Alliance of Washington in allowing us to continually look to what best practices are, best approaches so that we can support the best outcomes for those who we're serving, many of them that we serve collaboratively. Um, Monica, let's start. um, I know we started this before, but I want to hear how you got involved with the task force and an overview of the task force itself. Great. Thank you so much. So I'm really excited to be here. I was invited by the National Academy of Science, Engineering, and Medicine to join an 18-member task force Uh, comprised of research and clinical care experts uh, representing a diverse array of disciplines for emergency medicine through rehabilitation, uh, psychology, mental health, and healthcare policy. We came together and spent over six months trying to uh, see how we could come up with a report that would truly move the needle. In other words, identify what has been done Uh, figure out where the gaps are, and make recommendations both towards clinical care and for research. We held public workshops and webinar sessions. We heard from over 50 stakeholder experts and reviewed the available literature. And we were tasked to develop a report that identifies major barriers and knowledge gaps that was impeding progress, um, highlighting the opportunities for collaborative action, and charged with providing a roadmap to actually help guide the field. So Dr. Favilala, when was the study published? And I'm gonna let you give the full name of the study because it's a mouthful. So this um, report came out um, about a couple of months ago and the title of this report is Traumatic Brain Injury, A Roadmap for Accelerating Progress put forth by the Committee on Accelerating Progress in TBI Research and Care. Okay, thank you. Um, 
I have looked through a, a synopsis of the study, and it really did cover a lot of different areas that you know we've we've heard about for years and are critical to what you're saying is is how can we move forward um, through research and studies to know what are the best efficacy models, standards of care Mm -hmm. for those with brain injury. Um, I was intrigued by a number of the outcomes. First off, I loved the statement that got me. There was a a synopsis done um, that kind of right off the bat said, you know, the labels, which we all have used of mild, moderate, and severe to classify traumatic brain injury are outdated, imprecise, and do not effectively serve patients. It's said in here, in today's world of precision medicine, one could not imagine classifying cancer as mild, moderate, or severe for diagnosis. And I had never thought of that before. I just I'm not a clinician, so I just, you know, go with what the clinicians and when our folks who we're serving, we look at, you know, when they they let us know, those who we serve. Um, at the Brain Injury Alliance, we have a resource center for those listening in, and uh, we do one-on-one resource management. And that's exactly how the patient will identify themselves. But that insight right there, given what we all know about medicine, was truly telling of what still needed to be done. I'm going to ask two things, Dr. Vavilala. For you to think about the recommendations that came out, what you consider to be your highest priority or overall the highest priority of the task force. And then as I was reading through the question I had is, are any of them now going forward with either, you know, you talked about a number, the study talked about a number of different agencies from the Secretary of Health to NIH to CMS. All of these recommendations were for different agencies. And are they being pushed forward? And if not, what can we do as a community to help elevate that? Yeah, first of all, I think, you know, your organization, the Brain Injury Alliance does a lot of really excellent work. And I, I want to just congratulate you on that and, and say that, you know, providing one-on-one resources to patients with traumatic brain injury is critical. Mm-hmm. I, I think that when, what we, when we came together, we didn't really have a good idea of what we were going to recommend and how this was all going to fall out. And as you mentioned, you know, something like, well, maybe it's not as crude as mild, moderate, or severe. Maybe there needs to be some more precision added to the TBI diagnosis is something that we were surprised that we came up with too. Um, in other words, I think clinicians and, and other practitioners and patients know that just because you get a label of or give a label of mild TBI doesn't mean that the symptoms and the struggles that patients have are mild. Correct. People lose jobs, families uh, struggle, find their financial struggles. That's not a mild problem. That's a no. big deal. And even patients we admit to the hospital with mild traumatic brain injury, sometimes if there are other injuries, the brain injury actually worsens during the first week to 10 days. And so what was initially thought to be mild is really a moderate TBI 
or or initially is a moderate TBI becomes um, a severe TBI. So recognition and really coming out in terms of our key messages, saying TBI is not isolated. It needs to be understood and managed as a condition influenced by the biology, the psychology, the socio-ecological factors, and really putting out front that it requires a systems approach because there are long-term effects. And as a part of that, we recommended that we really needed to think about a more precise TBI classification system so that we can guide patient care and inform research. We recognized and said very explicitly that as a nation, we lack a comprehensive framework for addressing TBI along the full continuum of care Mm -hmm. and across the many care settings people encounter. For example, um, many TBI patients leave a hospital setting with no follow-up. Right. And that's a big problem. And that's where organizations such as the Brain Injury Alliance make a huge difference. If we refer patients to you, you can get them connected with community um, organizations and resources. And we really needed to think about an effective TBI care system as one that needs to anticipate, respond, and learn in a coordinated fashion. So the progress we felt has been sort of not great so far. I mean, there have been recommendations, but as you correctly pointed out, the actions are important. We just put out this report. We are disseminating findings from it, like like we're doing today, right? Sharing things. What we're going to do is create a forum where we invite all these national stakeholders and start talking about how we're going to work together, what professional societies and national funding agencies need to come together so that we can address some of the recommendations that the report made. So basically, one of what I hear you saying, Dr. Vavi Lala, is there will be another larger task force or specific... It, it, is that in the making? I'm, I don't want to dwell on yeah, it too there's long. Not, there's kind not of... going to be another task force, but we are going to be convening um, in different work groups to act upon the recommendations. So there's going to be a subgroup to really work on classification. Uh, we're going to have some people get together to talk about how do we integrate acute and long-term uh, management, Some a group to talk about unwanted variability in clinical care gaps. You know, this is going to require the professional societies coming together and understanding that the definitions are going to change, you know, um, trying to figure out what the unwanted gaps are and how we can support our practitioners in care settings so that we can deliver a more consistent and a standardized care paradigm. We also need to figure out how to increase awareness and how to help people identify that you know, TBI exists and how to make that diagnosis. And so I think over the next year, you'll see a number of initiatives that act on these recommendations. It's, it's encouraging yet, you know, now that I've read this and I, I think the outcomes all were really important pieces from, you know, NIH to convene a TBI classification subgroup. Um, it, the recommendation that the Secretary of Health establish a 10-year national TBI task force. I mean, those are those are change game changers, as they say, right? To have that much effort from those type of organizations looking at TBI. And I will say, 
you've been in this a lot longer than I, Dr. Vavi Lala. It's, I won't say disappointing, but I feel like there's definitely a hill to be climbed still, even though we've done so much work in the last 10 years on all of the things you just mentioned, right? Uh, education, understanding, getting folks to to get treatment and, and get to a doctor as soon as a, an injury occurs. Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful these things start to take their path and that they're put into the planning of, I mean, those are some pretty high level groups that, that you're proposing these to. And, and I don't know the workings of them, but I always know it takes a lot. So. Well, I think you've been in the business a long time and your organization has been in the business a long time. And so, yes, couldn't agree more in. Yes. We've all faced, I think, periods of disappointment um, and figure and thinking that, gosh, we've, you know, there, there's funding for work to get to this stage, but it's not quite enough. Right. And I think part of the problem, honestly, is, you know, there's no like magic pill for TBI. There's no drug treatment, you know, like there is for cancer. And so you don't have pharma on board. Right. And that's a big challenge. And so the awareness of TBI is a major public health crisis. We keep talking about it, but the solution space is complex it requires public health interventions, a lot of integration between our healthcare and our public health systems, and that's hard work. It's no magic bullet. I too am hopeful because it's the first time that we focused on this in this way. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that because the recommendations include such important and resourceful stakeholders to come to the table that we will finally sort of start to make way to implement some of these recommendations. It will take some time. The reason we talked about accelerating progress is I think there was a real recognition that whether it's the military or whether it's the civilian sectors, it's not just the person, it's families and you know the communities that are so badly affected. I think working together to increase awareness of this report and also empowering people to demand from public, you know, our public servants to respond to this is going to be critical. I agree on that. And I want to say, we're often asked some of this data to support, you know, the work of the Brain Injury Alliance and and the needs of TBI. And you all synthesize that 2 million a year estimates, 2 million a year estimate TBI in the United States. And that equates to 750 billion for that each group of 2 million, I believe is how I read this. So every year, 2 million folks suffer a TBI. And because of that TBI, it's a $750 billion projection of their lifetime financial cost. And that's loss of work, healthcare, all of those, because it is a lifelong condition. And I think that's something important to state here for those who may just have stumbled onto us. It is a lifelong condition for which a ongoing supports and services are needed. And I just started thinking about that, um, you know, because it's every year. So every year, 2 million individuals suffer a TBI. So the lifetime of 750 is continual. And I think those are the type of dollars, signs and, and numbers that I'm really thankful a group of yours put together, because that's what we're often asked is, is what's the cost? What's the long-term cost to society? And that often is what 
gets the wheels moving. I think that's right. And, you know, that's, and, and imagine that's just the number we know of. Right. Right. That doesn't take into account the students who never let anyone know. Right. It doesn't take into account the TBI resulting from intimate partner violence where people don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. So those estimates are all underestimates. Absolutely. It doesn't even take into effect. I think you guys had another section on data and, and data collection alone for TBI, even in, in our state, it's, it's lacking because unless it's a, an ER visit that results in an overnight stay, we're not getting that. So we know you're right that TBI is underestimated. So having a seminal report such as this to bring it all together and have these action items, I think beyond the task force, and I'm glad, I hope everyone's doing a podcast like this, Monica, who was part of the task force, because there are a lot of individuals who could get behind this. And I think bringing bringing them in, not to be part of those work groups and everything else, but to push the message and to push the importance of the topic so that this is addressed, because this really does need to be addressed at a, as they say, a pay grade much higher than mine. Another piece of this study that I found really interesting based again on all the work um, and having this task force look at the data is that it talked about that three-hour rule. So I'm really changing, I'm changing lanes here quite a bit, but I've, again, not being a clinician in, in general, we work with a lot of families who injuries first occurred and they're looking at rehab services and being able to do inpatient rehab services as quickly as possible. You know, we, we do want that to occur. Um, and there is this rule to be admitted at times, and it is that you have to be able to participate uh, three hours a day for usually five days a week is, is what we had heard. And I read in the study that right now there's, there's really a lack of evidence that this makes a difference in outcomes. And I thought the breadth of what you all looked at to try and push together into this one study is amazing. I mean, they're all little, they're all separately critical pieces. And then to put into this one outcome study from the task force, it was a lot. I'm going to say that. I mean, I tried to look at the different sections. I have my little notes here, section by section. Um, but it's so critical for this issue. And, and it is that idea of like, for you, what are some of the highlights from this that you thought this is something that you, Dr. Vavilala, want to stay involved in? Well, I think, you know, I, as an anesthesiologist, I'm interested in acute care. And I, you know, I'm really passionate about trying to reduce unwanted variation in clinical care gaps. So, you know, uh, timing of imaging, right? Timely recognition uh, that TBI has existed, not allowing the categories that we use of mild, moderate, and severe, you know, to, to, to us not paying attention to the fact that there's a TBI, in fact. Um, and then, you know, how do we manage the different clinical components across hospitalization is something that I'm really going to be paying, you know, trying to help move the needle on. But I think as a group, we're going to try to see where there's an opening to make it yeah. all uh, these recommendations. Yeah. And I think that's a good, you know, 
a lot of things are the right time at the right place and finding someone who cares. I mean, we're doing this uh, podcast in March and it is March is brain injury awareness month. I believe brain injury awareness day um, is either going to be this. I think it's this coming Wednesday nationally. Um, And it's important. It's important at, at every level for folks involved in the issue to, to speak up and to continue to push you know, the envelope on all of this. And I think that's the thing with brain injury. And you, you, you mentioned it earlier. I really love the image that the, that NASM ended up kind of developing, which is titled stages of care of a care journey after TBI. And there's, there's sort of like different components and we have so many opportunities to make a difference, timely recognition and awareness of signs and symptoms of who needs care and who needs follow-up, right, at the front end, right? Mm -hmm. Well, of course, there's the prevention piece, which is really important. Yes. And then then after it occurs, recognizing it and then getting the acute care that you need, right, to mitigate ongoing damage and then using the right language, right? And then for patients who have limited English proficiency or families who have limited English proficiency, how can they effectively communicate with their healthcare team that they have a TBI? And then there's the follow-up piece and the rehab piece. And at the end of the day, we really want people to recover and be reintegrated into society. And knowing that the journey is neither continuous nor smooth. It's a lot of, you know, things going well and the setback. Right. Right. And I think we, it's not something we really talk about very often. We think, well, they're getting better. That's like one thing. But in fact, you get better, then you worsen again, and then you get better, and then you worsen again. Yeah. It's not just a direct line from point A to point B, not at out all. the door and back to the job. And yeah, that's, it's, it's so much to support that journey for, for these individuals from the, the clinical the social, societal, family, and I'm I'm thankful the task force recognized that it, it mentioned specifically um, how do you integrate the caregivers in all of this for whom it's a life altering event absolutely and we don't often recognize that no. No. but we see it you know you right. you see it and and we see it and and we understand it but i i think when you're looking at numbers or you know those who just look at the numbers yes it's numbers in general that are regarding the the tbi patient the the f- person only who has suffered the tbi but there is that huge ripple effect with that that affects and, and impacts in so many ways um the lives of those surrounding that individual i i we, we have too many stories of, of that. I guess you could say, Dr. Vavilala, as, as difficult as it is to see and to know and to, you know, not just hear the stories, because I think um, you as a clinician and here at Brain Injury Alliance, we get to know these people in, in a different way, but it also is what motivates, right? So that is, it does motivate us to, to make sure we're covering all of these aspects of what is needed to support an individual and to move them towards a greater quality of life and to provide them all of the services that they're, they need and they are due. I'm glad you mentioned uh, those who um, 
may not be uh, English as a first language. I wonder also how the task force addressed, because I know one of the uh, main elements of effective TBI that came out was quality, high quality follow-up and rehab services with our rural communities. Is it, were there folks specifically from those areas or who work specially specialist in those areas? And that is another area where we struggle here. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a really, I think there was widespread recognition mm-hmm. that patients in rural communities, you know, don't get the same services that others do in more urban and connected uh, environments. You know, I think we talked about how, telehealth and the pandemic uh, has really allowed us to think more creatively about mm-hmm. reaching people using virtual platforms. I mean, look at this here, right? Right. We might, have, we might have like sat in person and, you know, somebody would have had a video camera or something like in front of me and you having this conversation, but we're doing this over Zoom. And so I think telemedicine, telehealth provides a great opportunity for reaching people who we couldn't reach before and in a more cost-effective manner. Hopefully there's some lessons learned out of that that will help with other conditions like TBI. Yeah. I, I think there, there's the, the good and the bad of it. And I think we've seen that too, is that um, uh, what you just said, one, we have seen the barriers for folks, internet connectivity, you know, equipment, everything else. Um, but they're, there is also that piece that they are able to connect with some of the best providers in our state in particular, which uh, we're very fortunate. Um, UW Medicine, Harborview are exceptional care providers for really uh, not just our state. They serve much of the, the whammy, Washington, Alaska, Montana, Idaho, and um, we benefit from that. And um I think that as as the task force move forward in their work groups, that's going to be an an issue that comes up. And I think the other piece is everyone is so individualized. And I think it's brain injury, TBIs in particular, cross many socioeconomic, all, all, all individuals, all folks. But I think also that means as they come into it, they're in a different place in life, some folks. I mean, it's just so different. Folks, you know, from very high achieving that have injuries to folks who are already living marginally and have may have already suffered a brain injury. And it's a complex, it's as complex as anything I have worked with in my entire career. And that does go from cancer prevention to working with the homeless to K-12, you know, supporting our youth and growing up. Um and I thank you, Dr. Vavi Lala, for your commitment. Um, and I want folks to also, as um, we're going to have show notes on this, uh, we're going to also have a link to the department you also head up, the Harborview Injury Prevention Research Center, uh, which really is one of the national leaders in many areas of prevention um, and injury prevention and and. Uh, you know, we've intersected in a number of those areas before. As you kind of sum up and look forward, Dr. Vavi Lala, both Harborview HIPRC's next steps, your next steps on this, mm-hmm. and, and what you hope, you know, folks hearing this today will come out with thinking. My goal of having this 
podcast with you was I really did want most of those who are listening to us are involved in the community already. And I wanted them to understand that this type of research continues to go on to accelerate and improve the quality of care. You know, folks who have suffered a traumatic brain injury, they're looking. And, and, and they should be looking and right. they're entitled to look and they 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 should demand from society that we look and that we care about this because it really matters. And so I was excited to be invited to do this because I think we collectively share a passion for this, mm-hmm. uh, for making a difference. And, you know, I think we as a center are, you know, partnering with you in disseminating information, in promoting um, the messaging and in conducting the research that's needed to affect policy so that resources can be delivered at the end of the day to organizations who are doing frontline work. Right. And, and I think that is really w- where the rubber meets the road. And we need to educate not only, you know, clinicians, and we do need to do that, and also policymakers, so that research Absolutely. can be, uh, you know, allocated to meet the needs of the public. Right. And I think also from our perspective, it's also those private public partnerships and we need to be on the same page. And, you know, it's the one nice thing about research and data is it gives us a cornerstone. And it's one of those things. It's like this needs to happen because it's been proven effective. And we are, as an organization, BIAWA, and I believe, Dr. Vavilala, you are, we, we want to get that in place because we're involved with another study, the Bright Study at the University of Washington, and, you know, learning uh, more about what's effective in post-acute rehabilitation and connecting. And new studies that will come out of this task force will really help to give us that guidance because we all want to do best practices. We all want to utilize proven effective methodologies. The work in brain injury, though, has just not had a lot of that for guidance. And so there's often that fight to keep in place what you see working and you have some, you know, basic data of your own constituents. but you know, this type of task force moving forward can really make a difference. And I'm excited what the next five years hopefully will bring. Yeah, me too. I think that we have to have hope. And I think, you know, I'd like for folks who are listening to this um, conversation feel like decision makers are listening. Right. And are really wanting to to be, to help. And so this report is a baby step towards that. Well, I think it's actually could be even more than a baby step. If if you can even get implemented one or two of these pieces, you know, a national task force is something that many have called for Um, working with CMS on coverage, huge piece of our struggles with the TBI and even the data piece, you know, more accurate and comprehensive collection of data to understand the issue. I I think this is like the, you know, this is from what all of that could grow and uh, pretty exciting. I'm glad you shared this with us because that's how I first heard of it. Yeah. And, and I want to thank you for taking your time today, Dr. Bobby Lala. 
absolutely. Any final thoughts as we start to close down our, our session today? Well, just that, you know, we, we need to keep the hope um, and, and look forward to uh, new ways of supporting uh, patients and families with TBI and working together uh, as a collective around research and training and outreach and advocacy so that we can, we can take care of our communities. Agreed. And um, I look forward to, to continuing that work between Harborview Medical Center, the University of Washington, and the Harborview Injury Prevention Research Center. Thank you, Dr. Vavi Lala, for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Brain Injury Today. If you want to get in touch with our guest, you can find that information in the show notes for this episode. Be sure to follow Brain Injury Today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. Give us a rating and share the podcast with your family and friends. As always, you can find support by calling 877-982-4292 or visiting BIAWA.org. Remember, you are never alone and we'll see you next time on Brain Injury Today.